You're listening to a Flower Pop production. Hello, lovely people. Welcome back to Series 7. And today I'm talking with the brilliant Joe Sims. You've got to do what makes you like, you know, makes you happy and don't be defined by your job or, or, or any of those things. Like, you know, like you, you want you want to be an actor, like, you know, be an actor. Joe Sims grew up in Bristol in a home which, in his words, may not have had lots of cash, but was filled with love. Thanks to his passion, hard work, a brilliant teacher at school and the support of his parents, Joe has gone on to be an award-winning actor. He's now on the board of the Bristol Old Vic, has appeared in so many shows, including Doctor Who and the BAFTA-winning Broadchurch, radio dramas like The Archers, and he now has his own production company celebrating the talent of Bristol on and off screen. In this conversation, Joe talks about standing up to bullies, why charity for him always begins at home, and how his whole life is a love letter to Bristol, the city where he still lives. Joe's enthusiasm is infectious. He's full of so much hope and is so humble despite his incredible success. He's such an example of how to tackle next chapters, and yes, he's even met Basil Brush. Welcome to the next chapter by Ellie Barker. The idea behind this podcast is that as I start my next chapter from journalist to author, I speak with incredible people who've already begun their next chapters in the hope it might help you with your next chapter, or at the very least, you'll just enjoy the conversation. So here he is, Mr. Joe Sims. Joe Sims, welcome to the next chapter with Ellie Barker. We're recording this on a Monday. Now, I cannot think of a better way to start the week. I can't either. It's abs- it's always lovely chatting to you. You're like a, a shot in the arm for for enthusiasm and all the things that are lovely in the world. And sometimes on a Monday, especially, don't we need that? We absolutely do. Now, before we started recording, you told me that you had an amazing sandwich and you feel a bit disappointed that's finished. So I said to you, I feel a bit of pressure now, Joe, because you're actually starting a new series of the next chapter, series seven. And I feel like I don't want this to be a disappointment after your amazing sandwich. I, I can't see how it was going to be. Like I said to you, it's going to be a continuation of loveliness. But that sandwich, I don't know if you've ever had that or any of the listeners have ever had that, where you're not hungry anymore, but the the, the gastronomic experience was so good. You want your t- taste buds to be delighted in that way forever. Um, and so there was a little pang of disappointment when I had that last, uh, that last morsel. But it was so, so good. Right. So, well, you know what? I'm just going to have to go with it and just hope that this experience will live up to that. So we begin as... <laughs> <laughs> we begin as ever um, with your prologue so you know we structure it like a book because my next chapter is as uh, from journalist to author now you grew up in Kingswood I understand mm. and then you went on to living Longwell Green mm-hmm. but and you went to St Bernard's level school now, I did this is all in Bristol obviously you also I should just point out you're born in Southmead Hospital where my babies were born so very good start in the world I would say there so but going into life at school what were you like at school Joe? Um, noisy and rudderless. Uh, <laughs> I remember having a teacher that um, used to say, Sims, empty vessels make most sound. And I was like, you know, that's something that I, I think probably always, always resonated with me because I was I was loud. I was rambunctious and I didn't have any kind of, I, I don't know, didn't have any kind of sense of direction. I, I, I liked everything, um, but didn't really, didn't, you know, it wasn't until I met um, a wonderful drama teacher at SBL um, that my life was kind of put on a track. Um, that 
you know, I'm 42 and I've never, de- I've never deviated from, you know, and I'm very, very grateful for that because uh, some of the most capable 42 year olds I know now uh, still don't know exactly what they want to do with their lives. So it is nice to have a sense of vocation because it makes sense of so many other things. Oh, of course it does. And we go on to talk about this because this is obviously what the next chapter is about because it's encouraging people to just do that thing. It's right inside of them that they they really want to do. Now, before before we talk about it, I think your drama teacher was called Mandy. Mm. What, did you like any other subjects at school? Was there anything you enjoyed at school? Yeah, I, do you know what? I, I, I always liked, interestingly, even from a young age, I liked the the aspect of teaching. Um, because I think there is something that is quite kind of theatrical and quite performance-led about a good teacher. Um, the way that you can com- command the attention and the respect of 30 young people um, that, that are all very kind of disparate and doing their own different things and stuff, and to be able to to, to unite those people um, and to get them to like you know to like you know, to, to, to to get them to learn and to engage and to inspire them is a very difficult thing because we all know that there are teachers that turn up and just take the money, but we all know these wonderful teachers. Um, um, they are doing it, vocational teachers that play their classes like symphonies and stuff. And I've been very lucky in my life to have met a couple of those and I found it humbling. So I think that probably more than anything, it wasn't even so much the lessons, but it was the people that led those lessons that um, that inspired that kind of loyalty or went made, made me want to find out more. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, so Mandy, the, the drama teacher, she just saw in you that you could act. Do you think that, that was what it was? Do you know what? I don't know if it's even that she could see that I, I could act. I, I, I think that probably everybody's got that in them. It's just like, you know, that she saw that that was a way to not not uh, to, to be able to utilize that in that youthful exuberance and enthusiasm you know and be able to channel it in a quite a productive way. And if you're the kind of person who's quite bullion and outgoing and uh, and you like to stand up on stage and like you know and make your peers laugh and then it, it is the perfect thing to be able to do so to be able to like you know to go right okay there's a career in this for you or why don't you get on stage now and then you'll be in the school show and then you, you're feeding off the kind of infectious enthusiasm of an audience every time they laugh or you know you you like you know that, that that's that, that that for me felt like i don't know i I imagine like you know any kind of drug you know like it, it was it was completely intoxicating and I couldn't wait for my next hit so uh so a lifelong um a love of acting I guess began there and and also she was able to kind of create a safe space where young people were able to to, to go into her um like you know into that drama room and swing big and be creatively brave and make mistakes and stuff like that because no one was sneering no one was laughing um everybody was really really supportive and lifting each other up and really i think that that's that transcends the world of acting that's the way that that's an environment we should foster in work in school everywhere we go because we're all better when like you know when, when we're feeling creatively brave and able to like you know to to, to make those mistakes because that's when our, our greatest successes happen Mm, and supporting one another how old are you at this stage uh 12 12 wow okay because she introduced you to the bristol old vic didn't she she had links with a youth group there yeah that's right yeah she um she was uh, um she was running part of the youth theater there and we were doing a show called west town wanderers which was a a musical theater uh piece about uh, a women's football team so really it was way ahead of its time and it was brilliant and uh you know i i, I had a small part in that and uh and i got to perform uh, at bristol vic where you know i mean the, the the oldest working theater i think in the world uh like, like you know that that's been consist- consistently running and 
to perform on a stage like that is an honor and a privilege and something that if you're doing it at a very young age uh lives very long in a memory you know i'm sure we've all got our, our whole lives are, are kind of punctuated by a few life-defining experiences that maybe put us on a road somewhere where you're thinking yeah this is a bit of me this i'd love to do this for the rest of my life and um you know lights up on the Bristol Old Vic stage and uh, performing a show there was uh, something that I will never, ever forget. Yeah, you know, you're kind of, I, I, I still feel it like, you know, like you walk out on stage and you're terrified. Like, you know, like you know, when you're waiting in the wings, you think, right, okay, um, house light, like, you know, house lights go up or whatever. And then you hear the music or you hear your cue. And it's like, there's always a bit of you that goes, you could just run away, you know? Mm-hmm. I could just, I, you know, there's a, there, there's a, there's a door there. There's a fire escape. Like, you know, will I know all my lines? Will I know what to do? You know, what happens if I freeze? What happens if I get it wrong? Like all these people have come to watch me perform and I don't want to let them down. You could just go home. You just hit the fire escape and just walk home. And, you know, I, 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 I don't know, but there's something about you that goes on stage and you want to kind of prove yourself night after night and you know, work with these people and, and to be able to, like, you know, to share share this with an audience. And, yeah, for some reason, you never hit a fire escape. You always walk out on stage and just try your very best. It's, uh, it's an amazing thing. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that experience right there was just uh, a beautiful one and one that, uh, like, you know, that, that, that I, I guess you're kind of chasing ever after. There. that first time on a professional theatre stage was wow it's, it's just a it's an assault of the senses mm, I bet it was and that first time you actually stepped out on the old Vic how old were you then then I wasn't, wasn't much older than 12 so I was probably about 13 oh my goodness me what a moment what a moment yeah. when you step out now I mean obviously we'll come on to that later but it wasn't that long ago you did a did something at the old Vic do you still feel like that 13 year old boy you know could you can you remember that moment when you stepped out a hundred percent. And I think that that's probably why I love it so much because you don't feel anywhere near as alive as you do in that moment because everything about you, you know, I'm, I'm about to walk on stage at Bristol Vic and for the next two hours, I've got, I don't know, thousands of lines that I'm going to have to say in the right order and like hit those marks and do those things and stuff. And so, you know, sometimes, especially being like a, a curmudgeonly middle-aged old man, um, like, you know, I often find myself a little bit tired or wanting a nap or something like that. But when you're about to walk on stage, you are alive. Now, you couldn't feel more alive. Everything everything tingles. Like, every single sense is bang on it because you have to be bang on it. You know, if you're going to be able to perform and remember all those things for two hours solid, um, then, you know, you, you need to be operating at 100%. And that, for me, like, you know, that that, that feeling of feeling so present, um, I think, is um, is something that is a buzz that, I, that television doesn't give you. It, like you know, only 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 operating in the live medium can give you that 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 feeling, that that complete connection with an audience, um, that complete feeling of being alive and present in that room and building something together. Because an audience is almost as culpable as the uh, is the is the people performing on the stage. You build something quite personal in that moment. You know, you're building a night, a night to remember. And when it goes well, um, and all the parts are in place, it's, it's mercurial, it's beautiful. But when it goes badly. It's disastrous and horrible and you want the grain to swallow you up. And uh, I guess, you know, there, there's something about that that excites me, really excites me because like, you know, it could be, you know, it could be success or it could, it could be success or failure. But um, 
like you know you, there's like you know and, and you don't know what's going to happen all you can do is just like roll up your sleeves give it your all and then just see what happens and that's uh like you know like i say a very intoxicating feeling but what someone someone said to me what i uh, want uh, middle of the road people get ran over and i think it's quite nice to kind of live things uh like you know live in extremes um i'm not saying that, that like everybody has to be an advocate of that but that that's something that's always worked for me Oh, it's amazing. I think you should do, though, Joey, when now, when you feel a bit like you do want a nap, you're going to have to have one of those sandwiches. <laughs> no, I'll tell you what, <laughs> a, a, a post-sandwich a post slump is inevitable. It's such a big sandwich as well. So, uh, yeah, you know, I reckon you probably got me for the next three quarters of an hour and then I'm going to start to slide. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, I say we'll come on to the, because we're just, because, because I think I didn't quite understand what you went through to become an actor. I mean, I know acting, as they say, is one of the, you know, one of the most difficult things to try and do. But so, I mean, it, but it wasn't as simple as that, was it really? Because there you were in Bristol Old Vic. And yes, you discovered this is exactly what you wanted to do. But then you were sort of part of this youth group. And as I understand, you know, it was tough, Joe, wasn't it? Because it was, there was, um, I know I heard a story about your, your dad. He was, you had really supportive parents, which obviously we should say that I think this is, I had um, really the same when I wanted to do TV and journalism. And when you're trying to do something that that not there's not a guaranteed set path, you hear more people don't do it and people tell you, why do you want to do that? You need that belief. I personally think my mum and dad, you know, changed everything for me, as I'm sure you did, yours did too. So your um, dad would take you like to the youth group, but you know, you had sort of some other kind of uh, kiddies there that perhaps weren't quite so welcoming, shall we say, as when you first started out. But then you, but you carried on, didn't you? But in the end, you went to the HTV drama workshop. But what was that like when you did feel like perhaps you weren't in the right world? It's a different time, I think, and certainly a lot's changed now. I'm I'm privileged to be on the board at Bristol Old Vic, um, and so much work goes into that outreach program. And there's so many people at Bristol Old Vic that are working tirelessly behind the scenes um, to be able to, like you know, to work with with all kinds of different young people all across Bristol um, and ensure that there's like you know that, that like you know diversity both in terms of race and social strata um, and uh, sexuality and all those kind of things are are, are met. And and it's very inclusive but it wasn't inclusive when i was younger like you know it it wasn't and um i i guess like a lot of things it was that there were people from like you know that, that you know sort of higher income families i suppose that were given all those opportunities and all those privileges and stuff and the rest of us were kind of scrabbling for the, scr the scraps and when you go when you walk into that room that's the first time i've met people like that mm. and the bullying was insidious and it was different like in my school that like you know people would fight and like you know and, but that was something that you kind of knew you you you, know, you felt very comfortable in that format that you know if there was any trouble you would like you know we're ironing it out and i'm not advocating scrapping or anything like that but that was the way that i, I that was that was the way i felt comfortable if i had like you know, if i if i had trouble with somebody and you couldn't work it out and it was on the at the stone circle at half past three and there was normally a gang around watching and then you would uh iron out your differences but this was this felt a lot meaner because you know, these children weren't people that were necessarily, I don't know, like paying for paying the greatest boxers in the world. They were just mean and nasty and I didn't know how to circumvent it. I didn't have enough tools in my arsenal to be able to like, you know, I tried talking to people, um, like, you know, I tried to befriend them and stuff. And I felt like I was a relatively personable person. Um, but those young people obviously made me may have never met a person like me or with my accent or my background or anything like that and so 
as a result, there was a disconnect and they all stuck together and I wasn't able to like I wasn't able to kind of infiltrate that group. So it did in the end get a little bit sneery, a little bit nasty. I was I was marginalized and pushed aside and I was frustrated. So I remember walking out one day uh, and then running into my dad's car fiesta and like you know and i wasn't want to get to, to 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 get upset i didn't i didn't really get upset or like show my emotions so much at that time i just burst into tears in a car and and i was like I, I don't know what to do dad like i'm trying my best to get these people to like me but they just don't want they don't want to engage and so i like i was just it was just that kind of feeling of absolute frustration i felt so lonely there um and then my dad like he was like how do you think I feel? He was just like, he was like, I've tried exactly the same with the parents out the front. And he was like, that's why I park around the corner and sit here and read me paper. Cause I don't know, like, you know, they're, you know, rocking up in our BMWs and our Mercedes and stuff. And we're parked around the corner in our fourth Fiesta. And he was like, let's just not go back here. And we didn't. Um, I left that time and I felt liberated. I mean, I knew that it was something I still wanted to do, but you know, that, that was, that felt like it, it was taking too much of a kind of personal, um, uh, like I was paying too much of a personal price. So then I went to HGV and then all of a sudden it felt like a kind of social utopia because these yeah. people were or like, you know, wonderfully kind of creative, engaging, charismatic people, but they were from all over the city. So there were people from like, you know, sort of higher earning backgrounds, higher income backgrounds, going to private school and all that kind of stuff. But there was also kiddies from like, you know, different estates all over the, the, the city, you know? So it felt like we were all represented. We were all there. It was just this lovely kind a melting pot of, of of people from all across the city that came together to collaborate and do stuff no one's like you know like i was saying to you at the start of the interview everybody uh like you know because if you if, if you can create a, a, a kind of rehearsal room or an environment where people can be creatively brave that's when you can do the most amazing stuff and at the time we were there at htv studios and we were making tv programs like young people, we weren't told what we were going to do. We were asked what we wanted. And there was there was time within the network, a local network. And we were making programs like The Juice, which was a sports uh, a sports magazine program. So I was one of the presenters on that. And we were going out and presenting that. Um, no Naked Flames, which was another magazine program for young people all around the West Country. And it went out all over. And it was amazing. Like we were getting like TV experiences. By the time I got to 17 at HTV, um, I was, do you remember there was a, a cable station there called Channel One? Yeah. So Channel One gave me, I was, I was, I was a, a sports presenter on a Saturday. So I'd either go to Bristol City or Bristol Ravers games and do the commentary, a halftime and full-time commentary. Um, and then I, I, I got given my own, uh, my own, uh, um, a political program called In the House, which I wrote myself. Um, and I, and I was directed by uh, a, a huge, uh, a, a person I, I'm hugely grateful for called Vanessa Bewley, um, who was in charge of HTV drama workshop at the time. And she was amazing. She was inspirational in terms of driving us all forward and trying to get us to do things. If you had an idea, she'd be taking it to people that could get that made. And so I was 17 and I'd lived my whole life under conservative rule at that time. Um, and I wanted, and, and it looked very likely that maybe Labour was going to win the next election, but I, wanted, I wasn't able to vote, but I wanted to make sure that my peers um, were given the information to be able to go out and make whatever decision they felt that they wanted to make. So I was making, a, a at 17, I was making a political magazine programme for young people, and I had people from Young Conservatives, Young Labour Party, Young Liberal Democrats, you know, all coming together, Young Green Party, all coming together to talk about um, policies and stuff like that, but like, you know, on a level with other young people to help, uh, help, help engage them in the voting process. 
I don't know if that's still happening now, but, you know, top marks for Vanessa Beauty and everybody at HTV to make that happen because, you know, we pay lip service often with, like, you know, like trying to get young people engaged and working and stuff like that. But so very few people have got that follow through and making sure it does happen. And at that time, it was just, it was incredible. It was such mm-hmm. a wonderfully creative time. Imagine that being like 14, 15, 16, 17 and being asked your opinion on what, what kind of television you'd like to make and having like, you know, very capable and brilliant adults around you to facilitate making it. Mm, that's just amazing. On two things. I mean, one, first of all, going back and just well done you and your dad for being honest that it wasn't working at this other place, moving, but not letting these bullies make it because it goes to show doesn't it it goes to show it doesn't matter what we're talking about if you've got people around you who are saying or near you saying well you're not going to do that or you're no good what do they get out of it but also you then go to an environment which is which is lovely and thriving and look where it's taking you so everyone is a winner in that situation the other side just sort of sounded so miserable also I will just say because that's the site where I work and I've worked there for 16 years I've worked there actually nearly like on and off for like 20 years so it is a very special place yeah it well, was HTV then next to the bar. I was working. I was working in the post room. It was my first job out of school. I left school when I was sixteen. And I started working in the post room, delivering every post. I didn't. Re- I did because you and I've met a few times, and I never realised this about you. So yes, so because also I am actually. I don't always let this. I'm going to let you have two next chapters because you've got quite a lot going on, and I hadn't quite <laughs> realised. Not everyone gets this, Joe. Oh, you thank you very much. You're getting some very special treatment. So, so you, yeah. So you end up. You worked in the post room, then you, and so presumably was that when you left school? Did you work? Yeah. Yeah. So you left school, worked in the post room at, H- at HTV, which is now where I were, ITV West Country. You then became a researcher there. Mm-hmm. Then you became, but then you were made redundant. But yeah. they were able to help you to go and do a BTEC at Filton, which ended up you then going to San Francisco to university. So what happened was I got something called accredited prior learning, which meant that I, I, I was a researcher at HTV and then got taken over by United News and Media. And then I was offered a job as a sports researcher for Anglia TV in Norwich. Wow. Um, yeah. And I didn't I, 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 I went um, very briefly, didn't like it, came back. Um, and then they gave me this thing called accredited prior learning, which meant that it kind of counted for like all the work that I'd done up into and including that point counted for like a year of my BTEC. So I got to do one year and then be able to get the, 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 the necessary qualifications to go to university. And um, I, I suppose where I grew up, university never really felt like it was on the table. You know, like n- no one, no one that I was hanging around with really w- w- was thinking of going. Um, and so it was a rarity. So we just never really got to kind of seen. So most of us just like, you know, left school at 16 and um, and, and got different jobs. Um, so then going back to college was like, you know, was amazing. Filton College was really good. Uh, really enjoyed my time there and met some really creative people. And then they were advocating like going to university. And, you, and you're thinking, well, oh, blinking out, this isn't something that I was sort of saw in my life's plan. Um, but I, I, I did end up going to the um, Middlesex University, and you're right, yeah, in the second year, they, um, American universities, their drama programs are run like a, like a repertory theatre um, season um, because there's not maybe as much professional theatre across uh, um, the USA outside of, like, you know, the big cities and stuff. Um, so a lot of people uh, do, do come and support uh, uh, university drama because the programs there are exceptionally good the theatres are really great and so and, and it kind of it's a it, it galvanizes a community um so 
they they audition people in the UK to come over and then you get completely free ride. So all my accommodation was paid for and all my uh, tuition fees were paid for um, to go to the University of San Francisco, which I did. So I was there for um, I was there for a year and it was transformational. It was incredible um, because we're working in a professional theater and probably doing about five or six different shows. And yeah. Also doing drama there. You did all this was drama. Yeah. Was- so by this time, I'm now like uh, I, I turned 21 when I was over there. So uh, oh, I, I was able I was able to drink for half of it and uh, not yes. able to drink for the other half. <laughs> <laughs> I won't ask you which was the better half. But I can well guess. <laughs> um, but then, so then, I mean, amazing. And then you decided. Well, you became a runner again after my own heart because I was a runner, and I know how tough that is as well. So you were a runner, and so we say that this is now going into your first chapter. So you. We're a runner at a, a commercial firm. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so I, I, I finished my degree, and by that time, like obviously, you know, I, I, I want to be an actor, but how do you go and be an actor? You can't just be an actor. Like, well, I mean, you can. Say, I could say I was an astronaut if I wanted, but unless someone's going to put me in a rocket, then uh, I'm just chatting. Um, and so I thought oh, I'll go back and do what I know, which is, you know, I like roll up my sleeves, graft, work hard, and I was working in a post room, worked as a runner, worked as a researcher. So I was like, right, okay, I'll go back. I'll pay my dues as a runner for uh, a company called Therapy Films, uh, which made commercials, and we were working crazy long hours. So I was opening, I was opening up uh, the uh, the offices. Uh, about eight o'clock in the morning and I was leaving at about eight o'clock at night and all I was doing really is I was making people's teas their coffees going out and getting like directors producers uh lunches uh, and and but but you're picking up all their info all the information you're learning about all the things that they do and so one of my jobs was to film um auditions for commercials um so it was in this little basement in Soho um and so people were coming in and they were doing their their auditions for 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 TV commercials and it was brutal as an actor because as an actor you know what it's like when you're in the room but when you leave you don't know what's being said about you but I knew what was being said about these people. Like some of the producers and directors were absolutely brutal and scathing in their condemnation of certain people's performances or appearances or stuff like that. And you're like, you know, some were lovely and others were mean as rattlesnakes. And uh, that was a sober moment. But anyway, I was, I was, I was cutting together these, uh, these, these showreels or these audition tapes um, to send to, to, to clients, the advertising company, so they can go, the director would go, my top four are this person, this person, this person, this person, do you agree? Um, and so I would make like the showreel. So I'm cutting together all these, all these tapes and, and then delivering them to, it was all DVD at that time, it wasn't sent digitally. So um, I was taking the DVDs over to the advertising company and seeing what they do. So I'd learned to edit by that point. And I kept saying to the producers and directors that I were in the office that I was getting on with, I was like, I'm an actor. Why don't you put me in one of your commercials? Why don't you put me in one of your commercials? Why don't you put me in one of your commercials? But, you know, I, like I was dogged and persistent, but hopefully I wasn't too overbearing because I got on really well with them. I mean, I was getting their dinner for them every day. So, uh, yeah, we had a bit of a laugh and a, a joke together. And then eventually one of them was like, yeah, go on then. You can be in this commercial as a commercial for the police. And I was able to take the rushes, which for some of your listeners who don't know, rushes are like unedited footage. And I was able to edit that footage to make it look like, you know, like like I was in the bill or something like that. So I had about like five minutes of like decent footage that I was able to use. And because I was going and getting everyone's tea and coffee all around Soho and their lunches and stuff, 
all of the um, all of the agencies, the acting agencies, were in around Soho. So I made this like you know beautiful, well presented uh, DVD that I copied a million times, all on Therapy Films' dollar, um, and then delivered it to maybe I don't know, sort of about the the, the top fifty um, uh, sort of uh, um, uh, acting agencies uh, in in London in the city, um, and then I had one bite. Uh, and this agent asked me to come in and I met with them and they said that they'd like to offer me representation. So I thought, well, this is it. I've done it. I've, I've done it. I've got myself an acting agent. Uh, like, you know, I'll put my feet up and wait for the phone to ring. But yeah. as you know, that, that's not the way it works at all. My first audition was for uh, a two line part as a Bristolian mechanic on Casualty. Wow. And, uh, no. Oh no! I didn't get it, and then I was just sat there rethinking everything. I was like, "Oh, I, I've spent like probably by this time, I've spent about a decade being an actor, and I couldn't get a two-line part as a oh. Bristolian mechanic on the on casualty." I'm like, "Oh no, oh no, I've got it all wrong." But anyway, fortunately, um, they somebody there liked me, uh, and they kept getting me back for different parts. And in the end, I got um, a, a, the, the the guest lead uh, in an episode of Casualty, and it was brilliant because. The, 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 the most beautiful thing about that was that I was put up in a hotel in Bristol, you know, my home. Uh, and it was the it was the Marriott Hotel, the one overlooking Castle Park, you know. Fancy. Yeah, it was nice, man. So like, and I'm there and I'm overlooking Castle Park and I've just done this scene. I was playing a bulimic bouncer uh, that everybody thought was beating up his partner. But it turns out his partner was picking on him. Mm. Um, and it. It was a, I mean, all these parts in Casualty are amazing because, you know, like, you know, there, there's nothing more dramatic than an A&E, is there? Yeah. Like, you, know, you see, like, you, know, you see everything there. And so this part was just amazing. And at the end, the bloke who played Charlie um, was like, like, I had this big emotional scene where I broke down. I was crying and stuff. Like that, and he was like, that was amazing. And I'm, all I'm thinking is like, Charlie from Casualty, I said, my performance was amazing. Now I'm going back to this amazing hotel. I remember like getting in and jumping up and down on my bed, just thinking it was just so lovely. And then there is another life-defining moment right there, you know? I'll, I'll take that to my grave. Like, that that, that, that was worth everything, because finally it felt like vindication. It felt like all my choices and all my hard work and struggle and dedication, I wasn't just, I, I wasn't deluding myself. I can act. I am good enough. Like, you know, I am able to be here. I'm doing it professionally and people seem to be liking what I'm doing. And mm. that for me was an amazing experience. Mm, and so well deserved because, I mean, I know from, first of all, getting into television, but also with what I'm doing with my books and I'm still in the process of just being constantly rejected by agents. Mm. And when you're starting out, it's very now sitting talking to you, you know, and you had that moment. Yes, when you look back, is it? But those moments when you were going, when you were working and you were knocking on the agents' doors and you've got to keep going and that self-belief that you've got to keep, it's really hard, to, you know, and it's you can understand why people do stop because if you keep being sort of rejected as such, but it goes to show, doesn't it? If you, it's that that belief and presumably it must have helped with your mum and dad that they had the belief in you that you could just keep doing when by this stage, all your friends were, they had jobs, they were doing other things like, you know, what they could easily have been saying, I'm not saying they were, but other people, you know, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? But you, you, you stayed with it and it, and it paid off, didn't it? Yeah, I'm, but but you know, I, I, I'm under no illusion that you know there's a huge slice of fortune there, and it could so easily have not. You know, I like you know there, I'm there, there, I know full well that there are some incredible actors, far more talented than I, um, that haven't had the same rub of the green, and um, and 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 like you know and that, and I and, and I feel for these people because it isn't because they're 
you know they're they're not talented they're incredibly talented but for whatever reason it it, it never necessarily worked um but yeah i mean like you know my mum and dad are incredible people and i'm so truly grateful to have them in my life because i wouldn't be there without their unswerving support you know that they're 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 two exceptionally beautiful souls um that always believed in me and always told me that everything is possible um and like and 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 would drive me everywhere and like you know make sure that i got to all those places and had all those opportunities and stuff and so you know i i felt obligated when they're working so hard for me in jobs that they didn't like um to be able to provide me and my brother with every opportunity that the least i could do was grab every opportunity that i was afforded with both hands Mm, absolutely before we move on then so to what came next on those days you know when when it wasn't going so well when the agents were saying look it's not for you and when you didn't get the the two-line part in casualty and that sort of thing when you feel that more you feel mortified oh my god you know what did you do how did you get through those days what how did you pick yourself back up again well those days still happen I mean it's important to 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 know that like you know I, I you're never on you're never on easy street like acting because one day you're working you think everything's great and then the next thing you know you know you might go three four or five auditions and then the phone stops ringing and 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 that could be quite daunting um so like you know you're you're never really out of the woods in that regard but also like i i just see it as such a wonderful life well spent like it's such a creatively edifying world um and it doesn't really matter to me if I if I've got to go and drive a lorry or like you know I've got to go and work in a factory and all that. I've done all these things before and I do them again. But mm-hmm. like at the moment, it matters to me to be an actor because I love acting. But if I don't later on, I, I, there's lots of other things that I am. Like I'm a you know I'm a dad and I'm a boyfriend and I'm a brother and I'm a son and I'm a friend and I've like you know got like a, I've got a, a fundraising group that I love like there's loads of strings to all of our bows um and I think that like you know sometimes I feel like there's a tendency to jam square pegs in round holes because you've been doing something for so long you're like well I've got to carry on doing this because that's what I'm qualified for that's all I'm you know I'm good at or anything like that and you're like I don't know I I feel like some some people are religious people and like you know and and they they can use their kind of like you know their faith um to be able to like you know to be able to guide them I feel quite liberated by not having that faith if you know what I mean Mm. by being like I'm, I'm personally like an agnostic person and I feel that my agnosticism allows me to think that this is it this for me feels like the main event so you know like you know my, my time here is finite and I want to do everything that I can possibly do and I don't want to be wasting my time with something um that I don't like you know that I, I, don't, I don't love anymore it doesn't like you know I have, have the same kind of uh, like you know that I don't have the same fire for and I feel like that about people as well um like you know there, there are people that may be in my 20s that I was trying to get their like you know I, I don't know get their attention or get their recognition and they weren't worth one of my tears and I wish I could go back and tell me like you know tell myself that mm. um that like you know don't don't waste your time on people that aren't deserved of you mm, that's such good advice but it's so true it's so true when we we'll move on now so so you um then well I mean it just kind of carried on I never realized this show and I have to say I know you did some big things but I never realized you did the basil brush show ah tell you what I mean, come on I, I do go through my entire life like an absolute competition winner. I was saying it the other day, like my friends were saying that. I, I remember going on the, the Lorraine show and meeting Lorraine Kelly and stuff. And you're like, 
and they were going and they were like you just come across like a competition winner i'm like that's how i feel i don't want to i don't want to stop feeling that way like an excitable puppy like i'm just a regular bloke from bristol and when you walk on the ring show you're like that's lorraine kelly and then that's blue like the band blue were there and you're like this is mental this is this crackers that i'm here in a room with all these people because these are people i see on the telly again it's these life-defining moments like going on soccer i am where i've seen that like television show a million times and then i am here i am sat with like like you know max rushton and just like answering questions about football you're like i cannot believe how lucky i am to be here and so I, i i don't want i don't want to lie about that i've never been a cool person i don't want to be a cool person what i am is like a really lucky person who's extraordinarily content and I forgot what the question was now. I've just gone no, off on a complete tangent. Not at all. You are. I mean, I think you're cool. But also what makes me think you're even more cool is that you are also asked for a selfie with Basil Brush. That's right. We were talking about the Basil Brush show. <laughs> like, you know, we're life defining moments. That's it. I was in the audition room and with a lot of auditions, I just don't get them. So I was thinking you're never going to get this opportunity again. So I was like, can I ask you a, a very unprofessional question at the end of my audition? She went, you want your photo taken with a fox, don't you? I went, yes, please. <laughs> so, uh, so me and Basil had our photo taken. Um, but fortunately, I got to meet him again because I did get that job. And uh, we went down there and I, I, I played this one-man crime wave that was wreaking havoc in, uh, in Basil Brush's town. And him and his friends came to uh, thwart my evil. And it was, it was brilliant. Is oh. every, good, every bit as good as you expect. That must have been another one of those moments. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, I'm so lucky that my life seems to be full of those kind of things. Like, you know, I, I've, like, you know, I, I've um, I, I recently recorded Doctor Who. And so you're just wandering around, like, you know, go, here's your laser. This is a TARDIS. Like, you know, here's the TARDIS. Like, and you're like, this is amazing. You know, because these are shows that are so intrinsically woven into your childhood, your adolescence, your adulthood. And, and, and like, you know, so woven extricably into the fabric of British society and culture and you're like i'm paying a part of it like i'm i'm in it i'm doing it and yeah like you know i mean you know i I suppose really my my arms just covered in bruises while i've just been pinching myself because uh it could all end tomorrow and if it does i i've been very lucky that it's been a hell of a ride so i'm i'm very grateful oh it's been such a ride i mean as it continues but then obviously i do have to move on to this then the next chapter because i suppose it was one of the biggest ones that you well it changed everything didn't it when you got nige carter in Broadchurch. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that day when you knew you got that part, when you found out, like talk about jumping on the bed in the Marriott Hotel. How did you feel when you got that news that you'd got that part? Do you know what? It, I, I, that, that was that was a strange one, because actually, um, but before then, I, I was working on the RDC, which is the radio drama company for the BBC. And that for me still remains the finest job that I've ever had. Like uh, working in radio and I've now got like 100 uh, uh, radio credits under my belt and working with some like, you know, some of the finest creative minds in the industry. Um, there, there, there are so many people, amazing people that work in, in, in radio production at the BBC. Um, a lot of them maybe have moved on uh, now, but a lot of them are still there. If I would offer any young person that's looking um, to, to, to become an actor, I would say like, you know, working in radio and working in that medium um, is just amazing because you're not just defined by the way you look like you are on TV and theatre. 
Like you know, you, you're you're defined by your voice. So if you can, if you're working on different, uh, like you know, different accents, different voices, then you can make yourself older. You can make yourself younger. You can make yourself from different parts of the world. And all those kind of things, and you're afforded that opportunity to play. And again, it's done in the most wonderful, nurturing, creative environment. So, like you know, my, my happiest memories are walking into uh, to broadcasting house at the BBC uh, and and doing that for a year and working with just some of the most brilliant, brilliant people. So I was doing that for um, almost a year. So your contract rolls over every three months, um, and you're only allowed to do a year max. Um, and so my contract was just coming to an end, and I got the audition for Broadchurch because. Um, I took two of my producers um, uh, to to dinner um, to say thank you for extending my contract for another three months because I was having such a brilliant time. Um, and that was the first kind of full-time acting work that I, I, I was doing as well. Like the idea of just being an actor, solely an actor for a year, that, that, was, an, that was an incredible experience. So I took them for dinner to watch my friend in a show um, and we met another um, uh, um uh, well, she, she she formerly worked in in radio, uh, in script like working in script development in radio, and we got on like house on fire, and she's still a really good friend of mine, and we were talking, um, and she and and uh, she was you know, she asked my friend who my agent was after I'd left. Um, and she told me, and it turns out she'd moved from radio to be working in television, and she was working on this show called Broadchurch, um, and they'd already cast the killer. I, can I say what it is? I mean, everyone must have watched it by now. You can now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so the lovely Mac Ravel uh, had already been cast as being the killer in Broadchurch, and they needed someone like a Red Erin who looked just like him. And Well, I do look just like Mac Ravel. Um, he's more handsome than me, but I'm taller. Um, and, uh, and so then they were looking... So I turned up... And just as she was casting this kind of, you know, this West Country drama and they needed someone who just looked just like him with a West Country accent. So she was probably thinking, unless he's the most dreadful actor in the world, then he's nailed on for this part. So I went in and met James, the director. Um, and like, you know, we got on the case on fire and read the parts and all that kind of stuff. And then I had another round of auditions. So I had two rounds of auditions, I think, in the end to convince them that I was their man. Uh, and then the next, the next thing you know, we're turning up at the read through. And it's amazing because, yet again, you know, you're just this kind of Bristol kitty off like a council estate who's just wandered in and gone, oh, wow, there's a lot of big deals in this room. Fortunately, I worked with, Jay, I, I worked with David Tennant uh, on Romeo and Juliet at, at the BBC. Uh, we've been doing Romeo and Juliet together. And, uh, and, and so he came over, absolute legend that he is, and introduced me to everybody. And he's going, this is Pauline Quirk. I'm like, yeah, I know you are. You're from Thirds of a Feather. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, there's Olivia Coleman. I'm like, yeah, peep show. And I'm just like, yeah, you're going around and shaking everyone's hand. You're going, oh my God, this is amazing. But you're trying to be cool, but my palms are just super sweaty and stuff. But because David was such a lovely bloke and introduced me to everyone, it kind of calmed me down a little bit. Um, and, 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 and again, like, yeah, you get imposter. I don't know if you get it, but like, like that imposter syndrome where you're just like, what on earth am I doing here? At some point, someone's just going to go, you're right at your depth. And you're like, yeah, no, fair enough. But it's been a hell of a ride. You did it. Did you ask for the selfie? Like you did with Basil Brush? No. <laughs> no <laughs> I was knocking around with him for the next six months. So I had to play it a bit cool. Ah. I, I had to leave my autograph book at home. You waited to the last day, but do you when you're in like with people like that, like you know, David Tennant, Olivia Coleman, Pauline Quirk, you know, Jodie Whittaker, 
you do you and, and obviously all other people do you get when you're doing your bit do you get nervous in front of them do you get more nervous or do, are they so because we see this in the television industry sometimes the really amazing people those really really amazing people are the ones that put you at ease it's the ones that aren't mm. so amazing that you can get a little bit there's sometimes a bit more tricky but did you do you do you get will you be doing a scene and you're like oh my god i've got to get this right because you know there's olivia coleman or there's david tennant do you feel like that no because 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 those those two people especially are just consummate professionals they're amazing they're on it and they want you to do well because you know it's a team game if 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 i'm doing well then they're doing well like you know like if you're doing a duologue together and one person's absolutely rubbish or is so intimidated that they can't get their lines out then no one wins there um and so no they're 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 completely uh, inclusive and beautiful consummate professionals that are willing you to do the, your best work and encouraging you to do your best work and like i say like you know you won't get any kind of sneering or making making yourself feel bad from those people because they're amazing you see those people it's normally like 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 when you think about bullies bullies project their own insecurities onto you because they feel bad about themselves david tennant and olivia coleman have got nothing to worry about because they're amazing at what they do and that's why they're so effortless and lovely because they, they they've got a body of work that speaks for itself you know same with like you know same with jody whitaker and, and like andy buchan and you know arthur darville all those guys they're just like you know it was just lovely beautiful beautiful people really kind caring souls and that's why we've all stayed in touch and we've stayed friends because you know they're like you know just 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 excellent excellent people mm. they it goes to show as well going back to what we were talking about right at the beginning about that youth group when they're bullying there that they would you know that it speaks for itself doesn't it what you're saying because the those those young you know for whatever reason they were not happy in themselves they took it all out on you and it but it can be so damaging but then look at the you've had the other side of it which is just like amazing yeah I, but i think like at the end of the day i think like you know when you're younger those things can be like uh, those things can be excused. I, I'm always thinking, like you know, you know, when when you're younger, you're always going, you've got to respect your like respect your respect your elders, respect your elders. I don't believe that at all now. I don't, I don't believe in respecting your elders now. I feel like, you know, I, I, it's a meritocracy. People earn the right to be respected in, in terms of their deeds and actions. So if you're a nasty bully or you're a racist, homophobic bigot at 70 years of age, why do you deserve my respect? You've had your whole life to know better. And if you haven't put yourself straight by then, you certainly don't deserve my respect because you've been breathing air in and out for 70 years. You know, and and I feel like you know that that's why I'm always more dismissive of adults that are bullies than I would be of kids because you can still get older kids. We all make mistakes. Like you know, to err is human, to forgive divine. But you know, so when you're kids and you're making mistakes, then they can still be put right. But I feel like you know, if 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 that if that bleeds into to, to adulthood and you're still um and you're still behaving abominably, then those people should be given short shrift and be told. And I feel like I I do I do feel duty bound now, I, you know, as an adult to turn around and go, I don't want to live in that world. And mm. so if I see if I see bad behavior, then I feel I, mm. I, I feel like I, I, I'll call it out. I have called it out in the past mm. and I might have called it out, like, you know, to the point where it might have done my career kind of that might have been to my career's detriment. I don't know because you never know, really, do you? But again, I, that doesn't matter because I don't want to I don't want to live in a world where the bullies win. No, absolutely. Well, we were going to come on to talk about that. We are, but just before we finish this part, because I, as I said, I am going to let you have two next chapters, Joe. Yeah. So, my mum, because yeah, uh, you definitely deserve it. But so going back, the do you think one of the reasons why you're friends with Olivia Coleman and David Tennant is not only did you take 
I think it was Olivia Coleman to the Corrie Tap in Bristol, you also took them to Mr. Wolf's for the rap party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a place. But those listening who don't live in Bristol, I mean, Mr. Wolf's and the Corrie Tap, I mean, they're institutions of Bristol, aren't they? Absolutely. And, and like, you know, at the end of the day, if you're going to be spending months and months in a, in a city, then you need to have someone who's got the inside track to take you to the great and good. So uh, I feel like probably we all got on so much better because, uh, you know, rather than just staying in the same hotel all the time and just drinking in there, it was nice to kind of get out in a bank. And, uh, and and those guys love Bristol. But Collie had already been there because, like, you know, Collie, Collie went to uh, um, Bristol Vic. She was she was uh, she already knew uh, she already knew her way around it, our wonderful city. But, um why don't you take them to Chasers in Kingswood? <laughs> Shot now, isn't it? In series four, I wouldn't be able to take them back there. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I bet you're gutted. I've had my own uh, experiences in, uh, in 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 the chase, which means I probably won't want to be. I, I'm not too keen to go back myself. Certainly <laughs> I certainly want to bring me friends there. <laughs> oh, oh well, I'm sure they would have enjoyed it. I'm sure they would. Now, so so there. So get, let's go on to your second next chapter because you're talking about Bristol there. So. At this stage with Broadchurch, I think I've got this right that you actually were still living in London because you were li- originally you, were, you knew you had to be in London because when you were going to auditions, you could just pop out in your you might be working in the call centre, you work in all different places, weren't you? And yeah. you could just, I mean, and that must have been really hard for you because you're such I know how much you love Bristol, but you're living there in London, but at least you could just pop out on the lunch break and go for the audition rather than having to get a train, it cost a fortune, that kind of thing. Yeah. But then you were a so then when you did Broadchurch, what, what was amazing is although a lot of it was in Dorset, it was also in Clevedon where we did our Christmas lights live and yeah rang the bell that was it we, again for lovely listeners listening we did a Christmas lights this is for my day job as a journalist and turning on the Christmas lights in Clevedon there was nobody around but then suddenly everyone appeared and there was a bell and the mayor and it was I mean it was magical it was magical it was- I think we could say my my son met Father Christmas walking up like through the Christmas lights because they, they they do such good Christmas lights in Clevedon um, and it was so lovely to see it all lit up and then all of a sudden he went Mum Mum it's Father Christmas and Father Christmas was walking through these wonderful Christmas lights like you know and, and it was it was amazing and you know because when was that maybe the start of December um, I think it was like November where it was still just getting you know but then like you say when it goes dark so when you turn up and it's light you can never see what the Christmas lights are like and then just as we go on air it gets dark and all the lights are and you're like wow this is amazing and everyone just turned up yeah and, and it felt like christmas started there it like yeah it was brilliant like, you just want to break even the quality streets uh, and, and and it was lush and again yeah. it's like having those experiences like turn on christmas lights is something you're like oh that'd be mint so i've got to do that and then and then uh setting off the fireworks at down end as well like you know uh, for, uh, for one year because i used to go there when you go to these things as kids and you're like oh wouldn't it be amazing if one day you were the person that was able to go three, two, one, bang, and 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 like and getting to do that, like it just just feels absolutely lush. So yeah, very very grateful. So thanks for that, Ellie. Oh, you're more than welcome. As I said, I'm looking forward to this year. I hope we can find a bit few more Christmas lights. Although I did enjoy doing the Harbour Festival, which in Bristol again is a, a massive thing, and we did the, we did the launch of that this year with Jade Adams as well. Uh, well oh, oh no, yeah, that, that was when we came down on the boat. 
with the oh, We drank so much gin that day. That was it. They arrived from, was it Germany with the gin or something? Yeah. That was it, yeah. They pistol twin with Hanover, and these guys from Germany rode over all the way from Hanover to Bristol yeah. um, with like you know, with this barrel full of gin. And Jade had a gig that night, and 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 we had they were they were very very liberal with their portions. So we had so much gin. I remember I remember it was about half past four. You guys had already gone because you had another event that you had to attend to, and I was just sat there in, in Bedminster, absolutely smashed. I'm like, come on, you're a father or two you've got to go home and get your ice in order at past yeah. four you need a coronation chicken sandwich i did need a coronation chicken sandwich but it was so it was so good like those guys were absolutely brilliant and the harbor festival was just so good if you get the chance to go then do go it is amazing but so yeah so it's good so then after broadcast then you could come back and live in bristol and that was really special for you but bristol is so special and i again hadn't quite realized this but you set up with two others bristol af which is a Bristol production company. And this is really for comedy, I think maybe drama, but particularly comedy for Bristolian uh, actors, talent of all kind, behind the scenes, you know, whatever. This is what you're, you're really passionate about. I think there is, I, I've seen so much talent here. Now, Paul Holbrook is one of the finest directors that I've worked with, um, and he's winning awards left and right. But again, for people of maybe of our social strata, there's a glass ceiling, which is difficult to kick through. Um, and I remember, he, he, like, you know, it, like, you know, working with, like, I, I thought when I moved back to Bristol, I was like, I want to shine a light on Bristolian creatives. And if there's anything I can do to help them, um, because I, I've been on the telly a couple of times by that time, and then I want to be able to help them. And Paul was one of those people who reached out, got in touch and was like, would you be in my film? The script was excellent. He was excellent when I met him. He's a big city fan as well, which always helps. Mm. Um, and, and we worked together and, and we've like, you know, I've been in a couple of things that he's done now. And I was just like, why don't we get this going? Like, you know, why don't we start a production company? And Amy Travascus as well as a fantastic writer from the West country. Um, so we're all Bristolians and we're like, you know, let's let's not pay lip service to it let's make sure that we are shining a light on bristolian creatives both in front and behind the camera um and to give it that kind of that 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 indigenous bias you know like if you if, like you know if you if you're if you're if you're living around in and around bristol then I, I, like you know there's so many people here um like dops and uh you know sound recordists and uh um uh, and editors and stuff that for some reason you know people come to bristol and like you know use all the wonderful facilities and the uh like you know the, the backdrop of the beautiful countryside but still bus everybody in from london whether that's actors or, uh, or 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 crew, and I want to stop that. Like you know, I I, I feel like all this talent's here, and why don't we use it? So I'm going to be unap- unapologetically, or we're going to be unapologetically Bristol centric in terms of the work that we're trying to do. So um, we're developing a project with Jade. So Jade and myself um, are attached to be in a show uh, called Joan of Park, um, which is the show about the uh, 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 the Bristol. Uh, um, the Bristol Zoo, uh, the Bristol Zoo car park attendant. So she and I are going to do that uh, together. Uh, and uh, and we've just written another show, which we filmed the pilot for, again, using all Bristolian creatives uh, called Whatever Happened to Pete Biscuits, which is uh, a show about uh, a 90s children's TV star that had to retire early, absolutely disgraced, uh, and is now 40 living with his mum and dad and thinks he can hear the voice of God. Wow, because yeah. the, the Bristol Zoo car park, that's a tr- real life story, isn't it? 
Well, it's interesting because I was um, I, I was at the zoo for its last day uh, before it closed down, and I was working with somebody who was quite high up in the zoo who said that there might be a kernel of truth in it, and not not <laughs> only that. Not only that, um, the Wurzels came out and said that they paid his retirement party in Spain. <gasps> so, hey, when the Wurzels are saying it, you can be sure that it's gospel. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's the most read about story that the Bristol Post is, or Bristol Live as it's now known has ever done. Um, and like the idea that that story is not being told is an absolute disgrace. So I, I can't think of anyone better than me and Jade uh, to, to go on telly and tell it because she's absolutely killing it in Strictly at the moment. So if she ever uh, ends up her, uh, her ballet pumps, then uh, then then she's going to come and make a TV programme with me. Yeah, well, we've got to keep you away from the gin, though, maybe for that one. But You know but... what? Yeah, <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> but... But yeah, I don't know if we can say too much, but that the idea that so the, the car park attendant was basically playing off the council and the zoo or something like that and getting it, a load of money. It's the perfect crime. So we've written it and the way we've kind of set up is like only fools and horses meets breaking bad. Uh, that's that's the nature of the work we're doing. But yeah, it's about a car park attendant uh, that just turns up one day with a high vis jacket on and takes five pound for a car and ten pound for a coach and tells the zoo that he works for the council, tells the council he works for the zoo. Then all of a sudden just retires one day after never missing a day for like 25 years, a multimillionaire. That is just brilliant. But Bristol, it's kind of a victimless crime, which makes it so it's beautiful. It's just amazing. You know, my husband does um, crime podcasts, but, you know, this would be the first time that there would be like a crime story where actually no one gets hurt. That's, I mean, it's, it's the perfect crime. It is the it perfect is. crime. And so, but I mean, Bristol is more and more. I mean, a lot's being done in Bristol, isn't it? More and more. And it, you're so right. And it's just like you say, having the people from here, because I'm not from Bristol, but I've lived here for a long time now. And both my boys were born here. My mum has just moved here. She's renting here. But we are doing everything we can to make her um, stay, well, to persuade her to stay in Bristol. Because mm. Bristol is a special place, isn't it? It is. It, I, I mean, like, you know, I, I, my whole life is a love letter to this fantastic city. And like, you know, people are like, oh, your accent hasn't changed after 20 years in London. I'm like, why would it? I'm extraordinarily proud of, like, I'm an amalgam of, of everything that went before me. All the wonderful people that have touched my lives have mainly been here in Bristol. So like any bit of success that I've been lucky enough to have, I wouldn't have been able to have it without those people. So I'm extraordinarily proud, proud of being a Bristolian and I wear it like a badge. And, and 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 actually I feel an obligation to send the ladder down to other people because I feel like you know talents everywhere and opportunity isn't and so I want to be able to send those ladders down to communities where there isn't necessarily a pathway uh, for a career in television both in front or behind camera and provide those opportunities and I know that Paul Holbrook especially in deeds and actions in terms of his casting uh, for his films and stuff like that he's gone into like you know places in South Bristol and gone whether your kids have had like acting experience before or not if they're interested in coming down come and have an audition like it ain't gonna hurt and I did the same when I was trying to find uh, new talent for our show at Bristol Old Vic. And that's what it's all about, you know, like you know, to, to, to turn around to people in schools that we went to on estates we grew up in and to turn around and just go, there are opportunities. Like if you're hardworking, like, you know, if you're prepared to graft, to roll up your sleeves, there are opportunities for you. Don't like be very, very, I, I always think that people should be very, very dubious of anybody that tells anybody that a better and nicer life's not possible. 
and that should be our jobs as adults to be able to like you know to be able to provide that like that, that those opportunities for young people to be able to show them in deeds and actions that a kinder better world's possible you know for every mustache twiddling monster there's a hundred brilliant front-footed philanthropic people that are trying to make the world a better place so let's mm-hmm. sort of, we need to just unite those people uh like you know and, and 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 take that on to 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 leave this world a better place than we found it and i take that i take that responsibility as an adult very seriously mm-hmm. well you really are because also you do your you've got your charity as well haven't you or, or where all your you got 500 friends is that right maybe they will donate a pound and then oh, you... i wish i wish i had 500 friends ellie some of them are friends of friends but they're all <laughs> People. <laughs> uh, I bet they all like you, Joe. I bet they do. But that's lovely that they give, you know, and it's very, it's a simple idea, but they're always the most effective. And then you give that money to whoever needs it. Um, so, in a nutshell, what it is, is uh, like, you know, I, it, it's, it's that feeling of impotence, you know, like the, the world was like, it felt like sometimes you feel like the world's going to hell in a handcart. And what can you do to make it a little bit better place? And as an often out of work actor, I've had loads of harebrained schemes that like, you know, that never see the light of day. But this one is one that I'm proudest of. Um, so I got 499. Well, I, I got three of my mates um, like, you know, to, 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 to help me. And I said, I've got this idea and I want to get 500 pounds. Uh, so each person gives one pound, 500 people give them one pound uh, and only they decide where the money goes. Right. So every week we get 500 pounds and then we give it to somebody now. And all 500 people then have got an email address where they can get in touch with us and just go. We know of an individual or a family uh, or a small charity that's having a tough time at the moment that could really benefit from 500 quid. They send the nominations in. We decide among ourselves uh, who the success, most successful recipient should be that week. Um, and then we just cut a check for 500 quid. No one takes any money. 500 quid goes in. 500 pound goes out. So I've been running that for five years now. And so we've given just about just shy of 150,000 pounds. That is amazing. That's lovely. And and also the nice thing about it is because like, you know, like I, I I don't want any kind of credit for that. So it's in the world now. So I've helped uh, 10 other groups set up their completely autonomous 500 reasons group, including most recently um, one in Ukraine. Uh, uh, we we helped a Ukrainian uh, a lady um, uh, with with our five hundred pound donation, and she said that it was such a great idea. She'd love to be able to do it in Ukraine um, to help uh, everything that's going on there for for displaced families. And so we've just helped them set up there. So yeah, it's it's, it's amazing. It's, it's one of the things that I'm 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 most proud of. Mm, and it goes back to what we were saying again. I mean, you really have all these amazing moments that you've had. You've then really passed them on to other people because you've used all. I don't really call it a platform, but you know you are known. You're very well known in Bristol, and you're very known beyond that. But you're you're doing these things with all of it, even with the production company as well. But it's bringing back to Bristol and helping people. And not everyone does that, Joe. So I think it, uh, you know I think it's amazing. But but you don't do it on your own, do you? Like you know, you do it through everybody. Like you know, like you know, I mean it. You know what they say? Um, it takes a village, and I I firmly believe that. Like you know, there's so many front-footed decent people in the world yourself included that like you know if i've got to like you know if, if i got a message i want to get out there i can get in touch with you at itv there are people at bbc i can get in touch with there's people at bristol post i can get in touch with um and they're like you know there there are lots of like you know community-minded people that are full of that civic responsibility that want to make a difference so in actual fact it's about harnessing those people and like asking the like you know and, and knowing that you in turn 
it's all reciprocal. So you guys ever need anything, then I'm on hand to be able to help out because that's what it's about, isn't it? We're here for a good time, like, you know, not a long time. And anything that we can do to further the cause of making the world a nicer place is something that should be at the forefront of everybody's mind. And so, but I, I feel that, like, I don't see the bad people in the world like you read about them but i don't bump into that many people most people I, I speak to we might not always agree you know i'm 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 quite a political person and you wouldn't have to do too much digging to find out you know where my allegiances are but I, I'm, I'm friends with loads of people that feel differently uh, like part of 500 reasons for me like the beauty of 500 reasons is that i might feel a certain way but you might be a conservative voter you might be uh, a remainer you might vote to like you know to, to have left the european union you might be a christian you might be muslim you might be any of those kind of things but 500 people can come together to do a good thing mm. there's so much like what i want to do is just like you know like like heal those rifts because it feels like there are there's some machiavellian intent somewhere in the world where they're trying to find fan the flames of hatred and division and i don't want that to happen i think mm. that there's more that that unites us than divides us and i want to try and provide like platforms for us to be able to see that in technicolor and if we can see that then we can build a better future mm. rather than shouting at one another we can listen to one another more Mm, I totally agree. Don't even get me started because it's a whole different thing. But the news, I know I'm a journalist, but we all do all the negative. But if you see the positive, well, we do our positive stories and it just makes such a difference. It does. Yeah. So, so moving on to your acknowledgements, who would you like to thank who have helped the people who have helped you along the way? It's it's mad, isn't it? Because I was thinking about this, like, and, and there's just so many people because, and and there's people that like on a day to day basis that just bowl me over with just how incredible they are. So if I was to do that, like, we'd probably be here all day. That you'd, you'd need like a third a third chapter just for my list of thank yeah, you. I don't like you that much, Joe. I'm giving you two. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Good enough for anybody. <laughs> and plus, like, yeah, we've got we've got the post uh, sandwich slump as well. Oh, we've got I mean, any minute now, the time's ticking. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, if I if I'm thinking about people, like my mum and dad were are absolutely front and center, instrumental in every kind of success that I've ever had. But most importantly, to to make me the kind of person that I want to be, because they've led from the front. They've always been lovely people that have got time for everybody and go out of their way to make everybody's life just a little bit better and like you know that's something that lives with me especially where we grew up I guess because you know there were kids that I went to school with that like you know that like became I don't know like you know became heroin addicts went to prison and all that kind of thing and there but for the grace of God go I because I went to the same primary school with them I went to the same secondary school with them and some of those boys are not with us anymore and you know, I, I had I had two amazing parents that were able to put me right and to keep me on the straight and narrow, to keep me behaving, to like you know, and and like you know, to to, to navigate those choppy waters of childhood and adolescence, and indeed adulthood as well. Like they're still my best friends, and I still look to them for advice. Well, not at the moment. They're on holiday at the moment, so uh, I'm 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 flying solo for the next two weeks. But uh, I'll be all right, I think. But yeah, so my mum and dad are 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 brilliant, and like you know, I suppose my whole life is a love letter to them because I couldn't have done it without them. Lovely. Um, and you'll pass all that on to your boys as well. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, well, I hope, I hope so. If I'm, I'm a fraction as good a parent as my mum and dad were for me, because, you know, we weren't, like, I always say that we were, you know, cash poor, but love rich. And I would have that every single day of the week. You know, my mum and dad have got nothing but time for us, playing on the carpet with us, taking us out to the parks, taking us out to clubs and whatever. Never felt 
that we didn't have any money. Like, you just don't know, because basically you live on a state with a load of other people that didn't have any money. So, like, yeah, you don't meet anybody else. So, like, all, all I knew is that my life and my world was just full up with, like, fun and adventure and the feeling that anything was possible. And, like, you know, my mum and dad made that so for me and my brother. So I felt so completely safe and comfortable and just, like, you know, and just had a brilliant childhood. And so I, I, I thank them for that. And then, yeah. So they're they're the two people that I put front and center, um, like you know, to 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 thank at every opportunity. How lovely! How lovely! And also, so you had and you touched on this earlier that you had this sort of like almost like an anchor that you realised that you wanted to do your acting at such a young age. But then that with that belief with you, from the hard work and determination from you, and then with the belief of your mum and dad that you had it, you you had that sort of point that you could sort of hang on to. This is what I want to do. So if someone's listening to this. And they feel, and it does, like you said, it doesn't matter what age you, what age you are. You don't have to be twelve. You can be in your forties, even in your fifties, even later. You feel, do you know what? I haven't got that. I don't know what that is. My passion. What I, how? What would you say to that person? How do they find something like that that they truly believe in and desperately want to do? I, I I think I think the da- the danger is that everyone tries to monetize everything. You know, like you know, you don't have to be a professional actor. Like I love playing football. I was never going to get paid for it because I was rubbish at it. But I <laughs> love being like I love being in a team. I like I like 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 you know, try it, try on different things and just seeing what suits you. Like trying on loads of different hats. Uh, like you know, and just going right, okay, and finally finding something that that that, that kind of fits. You know, and and I just think never stop trying. Like I feel like my my whole life is like one long apprenticeship. I I want to I want to be better tomorrow than I am today. So when those opportunities come, I, I suppose after Broadchurch and things like that, I, I was like, oh no, I don't want to do this, or I'm going to do this. So like you know, like I had to kind of forge some kind of career and like you know and say no to things and stuff. But in actual fact, I've always been at my happiest when I've said yes to stuff. Mm. Where um like you know where, where you, you you're giving different things a go and you're taking yourself a bit out of your comfort zone and you're trying to like you know you're, you're trying different things you go okay oh I didn't enjoy that but I'm glad I give it a try now I've done loads of cool stuff like I went banger racing um and like you know I, I was a bit scared because I almost died but like you know but it was it was incredible it was like you know it was, it was exhilarating it was an amazing thrill did that um down in London uh and uh you know like you know so like you know I tried to learn how to play the ukulele uh you know went paddle boarding like you know tried a bit of surfing when i was um filming over in indonesia and all that kind of stuff it's just like you know just trying all these different things i learned to ride a horse um for the first time i was like 36 37 and never never rode a horse in my life and now i can ride a horse Mm. and actually most recently i passed my test on a team of horses so i rode two horses like a horse and cart um, and I was with this brilliant company uh, called the Devil's Horseman, uh, who taught me how to ride a horse and cart. And that's like, I, I feel like just being open and receptive to things for me has been the most kind of edifying thing. Because all you, all I want to do is fill my world up. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I like, you know, I want I want to have different experiences. Like, you know, I, 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 I like, you know, again, when I when I said about like middle of the road people get ran over, or like, what is it? If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much room. They're they're, they're kind of they're a bit cheesy, but they make sense. Yeah, you know, it really does. And presumably as well, you would say to somebody who does know what they really want to do, but they're sort of nervous or keep getting rejected or keep getting turned down. You had that determination just to keep going and really keep going. Like you said, like it was like a decade, a decade. It was a long time. It's not, you know, probably longer, really. What would you say to that person who who keeps sort of 
getting knocked down, you're like, oh God, well, is this a sign? Am I just totally rubbish at this? What would you What would you say to that person? There's so many different things at, at play. Like, you know, when, when I go for an audition, like I'm hoping now that hopefully I'm good enough now to be like, to not take it personally. But there are some jobs that I really want, but for any number of reasons, I might not get that part, you know? And it might be because they're like, you know, they're trying to put uh, a whole kind of family together and I don't look like that family anymore. Or it might be that, like, I, I don't know, there's 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 a million reasons, like you're going, actually, like, you know, we wanted like a, a Mancunian actor or a Scottish actor or an actor from Jamaica or something like that. Like, you know, it, there's a million different things it, it, it playing. And and so you can't, you can't take it personally. But the thing is, you've got to do it because you love it. Like, if I was doing this for the money, then there's other things that I could have done that I guess would have been financially more profitable. But I do feel really lucky in that I, I'm doing exactly what I want to do. Um, and I, I, if, it, it's just like it's just like football. If I wasn't an actor or a professional actor or whatever, I'd be doing amateur dramatics. I'd be like, you know, I I, I do that. I like, be, I, I'd be hanging around with a bunch of people, to like, you know, trying to tell stories because. That's what makes me happy. And you've got to do what makes you like, you know, makes you happy. And don't be defined by your job or or, or any of those things. Like, you know, like you, you want you want to be an actor, like you know, be an actor. Like you know, do like you, know, you don't have to make a million pounder. Like, you know, there isn't a quantifiable amount of money that makes you an actor. If you're you're in my book, if you're like you know, if you're gonna be at the local um you're gonna be at your local church like doing a panto or something like that, and you're acting, then you're an actor, aren't you? And and, and go and find go and find your tribe. Go and find another bunch of creative people that will build you up and lift you up. Try different things, like you know, and and that's the other thing as well. Is like there's 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 a lot of like people that find themselves in like toxic friendships and toxic relationships and stuff because they they just feel trapped or they don't feel like they should, or they don't know what else to do. But if 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 you're surrounded with yourself with people that hold you back and make you feel bad or gaslight you in some way, then you've got to get out. You owe it to yourself to go and fight because there are people that are going to be like you. There are people that are going to love you and like you because. Because, like you know, I've I've met so many beautiful souls in the world. So the chances are, with the billions of people that are out there, you can find people that are right for you. That can that can build you up. That can help you fulfill your potential. Um. So I don't know. Like run your own race. It's so easy to like you know to be like you know to look at Instagram or Twitter or whatever and to compare yourself with what everybody else in the world's doing. But like you know, at the end of the day, every day I say this to my son: you you've got to look at yourself in the mirror every day and 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 say, are you the best person that you can possibly be? Are you trying your best? Are you as happy as you can possibly be? And if the answer is no, then maybe you need to do something else. Maybe you need to like you know to to, to ring those changes. My brother, my brother's got a a, um, a picture on his wall um, that just asked the two very important questions uh, that the DJ Pi Piper posed to us back in 2000, and it just says, "Do you really like it? Is it is it wicked?" <laughs> and so, if it's not over those things, then don't do it. <laughs> what does your brother do, Joe? He's a builder. Oh, brilliant. So you just got the two ends of the scale. Just, just amazing. Just amazing. He's another person as well that, like, you know, that I owe a lot to. He's my best mate. And also, like, he's a person who keeps me down to earth. Like, if, if my brother tells me that he likes something that I've done, then it's praise indeed, because he'll certainly tell me if he thinks it's rubbish. Wow, I'm a bit nervous if he ever listens to this podcast, Joe. <laughs> he'll, let, he'll let you know. Oh, but look, Joe Sims, I mean, I... 
said this was going to be a great way to start Monday. This has been amazing. You've been amazing. Thank you for everything you're doing. You've been such a role model to us all, really. I can only hope one day our paths will cross at the Corrie Tap and Mr. Wolf's. Oh, Ellie, I'll take you to the Corrie Tap anytime you want to go. Love that day, and I'm going to let you lie down now because that that slump is coming. But you've been. I got amazing. a sandwich to sleep off. <laughs> <laughs> so there you are. What did you think of that? I think we're all ready for a sandwich and a lie down after that. There's just so much to take in. He's just amazing, though, isn't he? I love that. Go and find your tribe. There are enough people in the world to find the ones who will lift you and support you. Now, so much of Joe's work is on catch up. It will keep you going all weekend and then a few weekends after that. You can keep up to date with me and my next chapter at elliebarkerwrites.com. I'd love, love to hear from you. If you could review and rate this episode, I'd be so grateful. It may just help somebody else with their next chapter. I'll be back next week. But in the meantime, go and find your tribe. You've got one here, by the way. I believe in you. Joe thinks you can do it. And so do I. Speak soon.